0: Are we going to go region by region or do I just have to ramble them all off now? And why do I have to go first? That's the other question.
1: Because you were talking over me, so uh, so I picked you first. <laughs> there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is March 16th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil.
2: Hi, Sarah. How's it going?
1: Good. You got your bracket already?
2: Uh, Sort of. Uh, you know, I made an experimental first pass, uh, which is what I do most years, and then I'll probably end up changing like 40% of those picks uh, before the official one is locked in. Yeah, so it's it's like a it's it's the art and the science.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, And from Los Angeles is five thirty eight contributor Jeff Foster. Hi Jeff. Hello Sarah. How's your bracket looking?
0: Uh, It's non-existent.
1: Haven't done (laughs) it yet.
0: I'm going to take a new approach this year. I'm just going to mentally prepare for a couple days. And then I'm going to fill it in.
1: I did want to say real quickly, since this is a golf podcast now, as we have established in, in the last couple of weeks, we have to uh, we have to pour one out for Bryson DeChambeau and uh, Lee Westwood, who came in behind Justin Thomas at the Players Championship on Sunday. Lee Westwood, I, I think that's going to be my my pick for the Masters, Jeff. I, I'm, really? I'm going all in on Lee Westwood. Yeah. I mean,
0: the main problem with Lee Westwood is that he never actually wins any of these tournaments.
1: No, yeah, Um, I've seen that from my picking him. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, you go back and look at what he's done in majors, it's like second, 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 third, fourth, fifth, second. (laughs) For, like, 15 years. Uh, But I would love to see it. That'd be a good story. He
2: was our best player to never win a major, like, five years ago when we wrote that story. And he still (laughs) is, I guess.
0: (laughs) It might be once you
2: become that do you lose that or like i guess if you retire someone else has to take the mantle
0: so like colin montgomery had it for a long time and then you know he doesn't hold on to it just because in perpetuity you know you gotta pass that on to someone else 70 year old colin montgomery still the best player never
2: to win a major i'm probably overshooting his age but maybe not i don't know yeah if only we could look these things up
0: there's no way of knowing (laughs)
1: I'm excited to see all the Masters uh, ads during the tournament. That's when... The tournament will feel real when we have ads for the Masters happening. By the way, I was way off on Colin Montgomery.
2: He's 57. Apologies to Monty. (laughs) (laughs) He's
1: like six years older than Mickelson. He's (laughs) aged him 13 years. (laughs) On today's show, we're diving into March Madness. We'll talk about how the NCAA tournament is shaping up on the men's side, whether a Big Ten team can finally win it all. Then we'll get into the women's bracket, whether the SEC can make a big run, and what's in store for UConn after this week's COVID news. Then Finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. (music) Selection Sunday has come and gone and the 2021 men's NCAA tournament is now set. All 68 teams and also four standby teams in case of, say, defending champion Virginia Cavaliers potentially needing to bow out of the tournament because of COVID tests. Hang in there, who's Pandemic madness aside, this should be a really fun and really different looking tournament. Blue bloods like Kentucky and Duke are out completely, making space for some new number one seeds. Gonzaga and Baylor have looked like championship contenders all year, of course, but Alabama and Houston are two seeds this year. Wild. On ESPN Center, Jay Billis talked about the surprising number one seed that he thinks has all the ingredients to win it all. Illinois is beyond legit they've got
0: Io Sumu, who's the best closer in college basketball he's got that black mask on now
2: looking
1: like Batman and then they've got the incredible Hulk and in Kofi Coburn who had 26 points against Iowa and Luca Garza and they also have Trent Frazier the lefty who's an excellent defender he can be a primary scorer if he has to be and Andre Curbelo is just a wizard with the ball just a freshman and, and he's got next level ability and he's going to be a star in the future he's a star right now. Uh, I think Illinois has got national championship chops. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but they're one of the biggest threats to win it, along with Baylor and Gonzaga. I got to say, Illinois was really not on my radar this year. They they were ranked in the preseason top 10, and, and they beat Duke before we knew what that did not mean. But it wasn't until they played Michigan earlier this month that I really paid attention to what they were doing. What about the Illini, Neil? Are their are there wins convincing enough to say they have championship chops?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. They, they're, they uh, I believe, the sec- uh, third best team in the country, according to our power rating, and that's the same at Ken Pomeroy, who is like the guru of, of college basketball ratings. Uh, I also found that um, Illinois is the hottest team in the country right now. They've added the most to their ELO rating over the past month. So sort of looking at all of that, that coincides with when they've gone in this great run, and You know, sometimes you can get a little too much tripped up with, you know, is this team rounding into shape at the right time are they the hot team or whatever but I think the safeguard against that type of thinking on the other side is what you said Sarah they were also regarded really highly in preseason as well which we know you know teams that have a lot of talent on paper tend to overperform their regular season results so I think they have sort of the whole package I also think they're maybe the most balanced team in the country they rank seventh in offense and fifth on defense at uh, Ken Palm you know I, I think Gonzaga is the best team in the country but I, I can can see the the theorizing around Illinois, and I think we have them as the second most likely team to win in our model. And Illinois versus Gonzaga is actually the most common, most likely final, uh, which I think is cool. You've got these two teams sort of opposite each other that could potentially face off uh, in the championship game.
1: So, Jeff, looking at the Big Ten in totality um, with Illinois, with Ohio State, with Iowa, what what about the narrative that this is the big 10's year? Is there is there a case for them to produce the the national champion this year?
0: Well, I think there's certainly a case. I mean, Illinois obviously, Ohio State, I mean, Michigan and Illinois alone having two one-seeds is, is strong enough in most years. But then you have teams like Iowa who can make a deep run. I know you love hearing that, Sarah. And Purdue and, you know, other teams, you know, sort of on the margins that are that are really good too. And then you look around the country and it, it's, a re- I mean, A, it's, it's just a really down year for the ACC. That's sort of what we're seeing. I can't even remember a year where the ACC, at least in terms of like seed lines, but I think the thing is, is that a lot of these conferences feel unknown in general because we just haven't seen that many on a conference games on a lot of these teams. And some of these, you know, some of these teams are basically they're only been playing each other. So what if they're all terrible and we just don't know that yet because they haven't played anyone outside? <laughs> so this, I mean, this year is like, you know, really confusing from that regard.
1: That's actually why I feel much better about Gonzaga this year than in previous years because of their early early slate because they're undefeated obviously um they played Kansas they played Auburn they played West Virginia they played Iowa they played Virginia before then they went into and then BYU before then they went BYU is in their conference but their their conference slate obviously was much less impressive but they did have all of those really strong non-conference games and I think that that has made me think oh yeah maybe they actually are this good and this isn't a fluke and um Now, you know, who knows when it comes to tournament time, but they're the one team that's sort of the exception there.
0: It's just so strange to me, and I know other people have commented on this, but why did they put them in the same region with three teams that they've already played?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's like to see if, did they really... Are we sure Island? they
0: beat Virginia and right. Iowa? And maybe <laughs> Kansas, if that happens? <laughs> Let's put three in there, just in case. Yeah, they usually
1: try to avoid that. So that is very, very it's strange. Literally, all you know, they are
0: not until the final four, they really, well, except for, I guess, the first round. But that shouldn't be much of yeah. a challenge. Well,
2: and is that a good thing or a bad thing if you're Gonzaga? Like, you know, on the one hand, like you know how to beat these teams by definition before, so it's not like they will be throwing you too much of a surprise. Prize, like a team you haven't faced then on the other hand they also have tape that they can study and and maybe try to figure out how to beat you in a way that a fresh opponent might not
1: yeah so we're going to talk more about the tournament as it goes on of course but i want us to get on record right now with our final four, which will be fun since Jeff hasn't even remotely thought about it. So I'm I'm excited about this. I'm no, gonna no, keep I've this. Thought about
0: uh... it. I've thought about it. I'm in my thinking about it phase right now. It may <laughs> change. It may change.
1: Um okay well let's let's start in the West. Who do you guys like coming out of the West?
0: I like Gonzaga. <laughs> nice pick. What do you I think agree. about that? That's that's <laughs> what that's the kind of content people want.
1: <laughs> me saying
0: Gonzaga. Uh,
1: and I think all three of us taking Gonzaga <laughs> the West is really the content people want. <laughs> um we Jeff, we rely on you for picking like a seven seed here. Come on, that will what be you? the You're only down.
0: That will be the only one seed I take, Sarah.
1: So if you like one
0: seeds, you just had your fill. There will be more one seeds from this guy. Neil,
2: by the way, do you guys have any interesting uh, while we're in the West? Do you have any interesting uh, Cinderella's or anything like that? I found it hard to find Cinderella's in this bracket. I think the biggest that I had was I had USC beating Kansas in the second round and Mm -hmm. and, uh, then losing to Iowa.
1: No, I actually also have USC beating Kansas because, and here's my thing, whenever we write about a team, uh, then I adopt that team and we just wrote about USC. So now I'm very like, oh yeah, all their dunks, they'll be great. (laughs) Also I always pick against Kansas which is either very gratifying or very frustrating. Well, I think that's
2: that's not that's a highly defensible pick this year though. Like if you look at the two, I think USC has a 44% chance of winning if they meet up in that. I like that range where it's like if you give me like at least a 44% chance for the underdog or the lower seeded team, I'm going to like think really long and hard about taking the underdog in that yeah. one.
0: I I think Ohio's going to beat Virginia. Ooh.
1: Yeah, I think that little corner is the best to get a twelve thirteen matchup in the second round with yeah. with. I mean, Virginia just that's just a mess, and you feel for those players. But
0: I mean, they're they're like showing up at the game. I think. I, yeah. I don't think they're getting to Indianapolis until Friday. Until Friday. Yeah, and they're barely practicing. And Ohio's good. Yeah. Um, really it's a tough matchup. Anyway, team. yeah. Really good offense. So. That that's a bad matchup to begin with, yeah.
1: Let's move to the east and talk about Michigan's uh Michigan's corner of the bracket. Jeff, who do you have advancing out of the East?
0: I will take I like Alabama. I know Neil said he was they were the worst two, which I'm sort of surprised by. I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I mean I, I think they actually had a decent case for being a one. They play super fast, super up tempo, um, and also have a good defense. But like those two Three-point shooting teams that play good defense—you know—that means even if they're cold, they can hang around. It's like a team that I think is like built for tournament runs.
2: I like the idea of a three-and-D team. Like we've had three-and-D players. Why not just make a whole team out of it? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've got you know I actually have Alabama coming out. uh, Despite me saying they're the worst of the two seeds, Uh, I've got them coming out as well. Um, And one of the reasons why is because I had Michigan State kind of cruising through. This is provided they actually even make the round of 64 but beating byu and then um i I really wanted to take abilene uh, christian against texas but either way having michigan state actually advance to the sweet 16 uh and then alabama beating them i thought a little bit about colorado first of all having them beat fsu but then having them maybe beat michigan but I, i didn't pull the trigger on that but i had alabama unseat michigan in the elite eight
1: i can't believe how boring this is I also <laughs> have Alabama out of the Whoa, east. look at this consensus. I, oh, I don't I don't oh, like this at boy. all. Um, man, this is almost making me want to pick Michigan. This is a this was a weird one to to pick. I thought that's funny that you have Colorado going that far. I actually have. I, I feel like Georgetown could make a little run here. I mean,
2: they could. They're they're the other hottest team, like yeah. with Illinois. The, those are the two hottest teams in the country right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also, it feels like Texas is a trendy pick, and I really don't think very much of Texas. I'm like down, I don't either. I'm down on every Big Twelve team except for except for Baylor.
2: Abilene Christian, come on, make Abilene that Christian, make that call. Fourteenth seed. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes the committee we've talked about this in the past that they have a lot of trouble especially i think it's gotten worse as they've added more of these play-in games they just have so much trouble trying to figure out what to do with major conference teams that have sort of mediocre regular seasons but they have to put them somewhere and they give them like a 10 or an 11 seed or something like that and then they're like way too strong for that uh you know in in many cases so i don't know if they've like cracked the code on that or what you even do with those teams Uh, I I think sometimes.
1: Unpopular opinion. Get rid of the first four. Make it (laughs) harder. Make it harder to make. There were so few teams where we were like, oh, no, they were really, you know, what a snub from the turn. We need snubs. We need that. We need people angry. (laughs) 64 teams is plenty. I think you're right that they, they don't know what to do with those. And then those teams kind of have I think they have an advantage from playing in that first game they they have some momentum there we've seen that time and time again Syracuse is another team that's played like that although Syracuse gets an 11 seed I think no matter what Syracuse such an
2: 11 seed like magnet the
1: they're they are the like the perfect the 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 perfect 11 seed it's wild every single time and
2: they might win again i mean probably win again as an 11 seed this year
1: very possibly all right let's move on to the south where baylor is number one jeff who do you have coming out of there see i find this to
0: be the hardest the hardest region to call i i don't i'm not a believer in baylor I know you may disagree, Sarah, from what you just said. So I'm going to take Ohio State. See how how much trouble I had just saying those words? It was like my brain was sending signals like, don't articulate that. Uh, Ohio State, um, yeah, Ohio State.
1: The one thing I've learned from this year is that you actually are an Ohio State fan. So that's it. That's exciting. Good job. Oh, Way to come boy. around.
2: Oh, that hurts. <laughs> he's just yeah. trying to prove he's unbiased.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Neil, fair
2: and balanced podcast.
1: Right. Neil, how about you? Who do you have coming out of the South?
2: Yeah, I, I was going to take Baylor uh, coming out. And um, I have Colgate going ridiculously far in this tournament as a 14 seed. I just got addicted to to advancing Colgate. Like every single time I was like, why not Colgate? I, I So I actually had them uh, in my provisional experimental bracket that I filled out, which is what I'm going off of here. I had them beating Ohio State in a 14 over a two. I don't think that's going to happen, but it felt right at the time. Uh, when I hastily wrote that down, but I think Baylor, you know, no matter whether, obviously, Ohio State would be more difficult to face than Colgate. Could you imagine if Colgate 14 seed makes the final four? Anyway, I'm taking Baylor, the one seed, uh, even though they have slowed down a little bit. I mean, they started, what, 18 and 0, been sort of on on track to... Um, to, to make a Final Four appearance all year. And they're another one of those teams that can bury you with three-pointers. I don't know. I, I like them. And I wonder whether they're getting kind of undervalued in people's minds because they've, you know, they lost in the Big 12 tournament and haven't been undefeated like the, the team that they seemed like they were on a collision course with the whole year, which was Gonzaga.
1: Baylor had a, a COVID pause, came back from that not looking as strong. But... I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that they've overcome that. I mean, yes, they did lose in the tournament to a very good Oklahoma State team that I think is a little undervalued, too. So, yeah, I actually I also have Baylor coming out of here and I really struggled with this one. I really struggled between Baylor and Ohio State. Um, But I think Baylor's the better team, just just the two of them. I think that would be a fun matchup and you know you gotta you gotta watch out for colgate so who knows if that matchup will even happen
2: yeah we'll see if my irrational love for colgate will pay dividends yeah
1: colgate
0: beating arkansas and then beating texas tech and then beating ohio state Uh uh-huh wow why not i like it
1: all right what about the midwest who you got out of the midwest jeff
0: so i'm gonna mix it up here and i'm gonna go with houston Wow, that's so boring. I just took twos. No one took anyone higher than a two, unless you guys do it this time. Go for it. But I like Houston. I've watched this Houston team play a couple times um, towards the end of the season, and I think, you know, they don't have that sort of marquee, name-brand, blue-blood reputation, but they are a tough team. I mean... I watched what they. I watched their last game against Cincinnati, and they just destroyed them. Yeah. And it does not look like a team I want to play at all. The defense is really tough, and obviously they're one of these teams that are so balanced. You look at Ken Palm, number eight in offense, number sixteen in defense, but especially their defense, like you know, under the basket and around the rim, is just really tough.
1: Yeah. All right, Neil, who you got?
2: Yeah, you know I thought long and hard about Houston also with this, and there's like some models, like for instance, if you go to TeamRankings.com, they have this machine learning decision tree model that likes Houston head-to-head against Illinois uh, and gives Houston a 58% chance of winning that. Our model thinks Illinois is favored in that one, and Jeff, I think since you took Houston, I'm going to take Illinois. Again, they have looked extremely dominant um especially like recently and i don't know how much you know i don't want to put too much stock in that but they also you know played better uh away from home and uh, there's all kinds of factors i think i think tilt the the balance toward Illinois for me.
1: So this is where I get myself into trouble because I fixate on certain matchups and then like have to eliminate a number one seed in the second round. Oh yeah, you're
2: thinking about Loyola.
1: (laughs) I am. I think Loyola is going to beat Illinois. I really like Loyola. Now, Illinois is probably the better team, so this is probably a a really stupid choice for me. I feel like Loyola causes huge problems for Illinois. Obviously, Illinois also causes problems for Loyola, but I, I just, I like that. But I couldn't quite pull the trigger all the way on Loyola going to the Final Four. I really like Oklahoma State. This might be that I've watched too much Big 12. That is very possible. Um, that team is Kate Cunningham so good, and and players can take over in the tournament. Also, I I love the idea of Oklahoma State going to the Final Four as they're on the brink of like suspension from (laughs) postseason activities I think that would like infuriate the NCAA which I'm all for so so that's sort of a not really that's I'm picking with my with my heart there instead of maybe with my head but I'm going with Oklahoma State I have two big 12 teams in the final four that doesn't not that doesn't seem right two big 12 teams no big 10 teams the no Big Ten teams does does check out, but yeah, I don't know. I'm probably going to live to regret that, but that's okay.
0: I, I like Oklahoma State, too, and I actually think that a lot of the other teams uh, that they will face, you know, I'm not so high on Tennessee. I'm a little worried about Liberty, though, to be honest, so I wouldn't shock me.
2: Yeah, right. That was, uh, I I tried to kind of come up with deep cut uh, upset potential teams. And so that's where I got my Abilene Christian. Uh, that's how I got addicted to Colgate uh, and their wonderful toothpaste. Uh, but uh, but anyway, yeah, that was another one. Liberty was one that showed up as like, a, I don't know, some of these statistical systems see them having, you know, value or whatever, um, especially as a 13 seed who only wins I think 20% of the time, historically, some of these systems were saying like, ooh, they might they might have a 27% chance of of beating the four seed, which is of course catnip to to right. me. I wanna <laughs> find those, th- those differentials.
1: All right, well, now that we've <laughs> dissected our brackets and second guessed everything we thought about them, <laughs> it's time for the tournament to begin. There's nothing else that can be done. Let's leave this here for now. We'll take a break and be back to talk about the women's bracket. Selection Monday was yesterday, and the women's NCAA tournament bracket is also set. The number one seats are Stanford, South Carolina, NC State, and UConn. There was additional big news for UConn yesterday as coach Gino Ariyama tested positive for COVID-19 just a few days after getting his second dose of the vaccine. He'll need to quarantine for 10 days before he can travel to San Antonio, where the tournament is being played. In the past decade or so, we've had a pretty good idea of who would make the Final Four going into the women's tournament. Three of the past 10 Final Fours have featured all number 1 seeds, and the title game has been between two number 1s six times. But this year, there's a little less separation between the leaders and the top of the pack, with Baylor and Maryland wrapping up their conferences impressively and Texas A&M making a strong case for themselves all year before an SEC tourney loss to Georgia. On ESPN, Andrea Carter made the SEC's case to compete against higher-ranked teams. You know, with Georgia, the way they play their defense and the way they're fearless and relentless, the Q Morris and her leadership, Jenna Stady, their seniors, then Texas A&M, they execute extremely well and they're talented top to bottom. Kentucky's got a superstar in Ryan Howard. In South Carolina, they're peaking. We've seen how good they are. Tennessee, really, the list goes on and on because no teams in the nation have prepared for the SEC teams the right. way that they prepare for each other. It's hard to argue against the SEC right now. Which of these teams might make the most noise. Neil, does our model expect big things from South Carolina at number one?
2: Actually, surprisingly, perhaps not, which uh, is is not to make uh, I think Don Staley already mad at our podcast for not picking South Carolina in the <laughs> non-existent tournament last year, and then now we have them as only the third most likely team to win the tournament this year, behind Stanford at number one. They actually have a thirty-six percent chance in our model to to win the championship, and UConn at number uh, at twenty-four uh, percent, and that's despite UConn kind of getting a. Sh- draw like if you think about Baylor is the two seed in that region they could have made a case to be a one seed and in fact they are rated higher than the one seed in the Mercado region, the uh, NC State, uh, according to our power ratings. So I think all those things kind of conspired against UConn, and yet they still have higher odds than South Carolina, which uh, some of it has to do with Maryland being a strong two seed also in there. So I think the the hemisphere region has a number of, you know, UCLA is the three seed also, a number of the better teams in those sort of non-number one seed slots. But that explains it. But I think also South Carolina is just rated lower in the statistical systems than either Stanford or UConn.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. South Carolina has been kind of at the top of the rankings all year, but I really... I've been impressed with the rest of the SEC as well. I really like Texas A&M. I've I've liked them kind of all season. They're they're just they're a fun team and they seem they seem like they could do big things in the tournament. Kentucky has sort of been under the radar most of the year, but but they're excellent as well. The I don't know. The the SEC seems like they could do big things. They have one fewer team in than the ACC, but But their teams are all in the top half of the seeds, which I think is kind of interesting, too. Like, these teams are all just very strong. Baylor is an interesting case. It feels like the Big 12 is a little underrated this year. They only got five teams in. They don't seem to be treated as as tough this year as maybe in previous years. And I wonder if that's hurting Baylor and hurt Baylor in the eyes of the committee, perhaps, because they're right. You're right there. I mean, their rating is they have the fourth highest power rating just behind South Carolina. Um, there does seem to be kind of a clear delineation between Stanford and UConn among the top teams. So how much should we take away from the conference title game. Stanford and UConn won very convincingly, while South Carolina kind of had all it could handle from Georgia, and, and NC State needed late-game heroics to topple Louisville. Will any of that carry over into the tournament, Jeff? Yeah, I'm sort of
0: interested, because if you look at the both the men's and the women's side, there were just a lot of sort of strange conference tournament results. You know, not expected conference tournament results. And I'm just wondering if that's sort of foreshadowing an even wilder, more upset given year. I think on the women's bracket, I think if there's ever a year with all that's going on this year and all this sort of strange scheduling and, and the challenges these teams had, if there's ever a year to sort of break up this trend of as you mentioned at the top of the segment like one seed dominant it it does feel like it's this year um just because it it feels like chaos has potential to prevail so i'm interested to be honest if if that if we can get a a true cinderella on the women's side which is something i think this tournament could really use because i mean i think we're getting a little bored of this yukon one seed dominance uh or, or are we not are we not? Do we not like parody in women's college
1: basketball? <laughs> we, like, we like a good villain. We like a good villain. You know, for Cinderella's, our three alma maters could actually make some noise there. All three of our alma maters are in the women's tournament. I get to I get to talk about Iowa State in a positive way on the women's side. The Cyclones are a seven seed facing uh, Michigan State with a, with a likely showdown against Texas A&M on the line. Michigan is a six seed. Georgia Tech is a five seed. So that's exciting.
2: I'm worried about us against Texas. Stephen F. Austin, though. We only have a 68% <laughs> of chance of winning.
1: Of course, you are worried about Stephen F. Austin.
0: <laughs> What's Michigan against uh, Dunk City? 70%. Yeah. Name <laughs> 70%. A little bit. Oh. Gulf Coast. You don't want to see that team.
1: Uh, You know, well, we wrote last month about Michigan's Naz Hillman, who should be really fun to watch in the tourney. She's scoring 25.1 points per game, fourth in the country. She had a 50-point game against uh, Jeff's favorite Ohio State in January. 50 points. Not bad. She's, a, bad. she's a Yeah. The, the Michigan
0: team, you know, they started out really strong. And they, I think they were ten and zero. They just have sort of stumbled down the stretch, which is worrisome. I, I do think momentum, even though we're not supposed to talk about momentum in terms of a statistical context, uh, is important. And for their last six, they've lost. They've, I think they scored forty nine points against Northwestern in the in the Big Ten tournament. So, just the offense doesn't seem as sharp right now. So. I'm just, you see what I'm doing here? I'm just lowering the expectations so low, so low. Yeah, So that in a couple of weeks, I could be like, oh, well, no (laughs) one predicted that. Yeah, it's all about managing expectations.
2: (laughs) Well, and also, I don't think that as stat people, we have to totally discount momentum because ELO, which is the system that we use for a lot of different things, does kind of implicitly have uh an element of momentum in it where it sort of gives you more credit uh just by the way it's set up for recent games than it does for games long ago and and kind of your performance in older games kind of decays over time uh and so it is kind of a what have you done for me lately and i think that's part of why the uh the top two teams were teams that succeeded in the conference championships the top two teams in our power ratings yeah, i should say
1: i, I think that that does make sense. And that's something to to think about. Like, it does matter how teams go roll into the tournament. Sometimes we want to discount that in different ways for... For Michigan, you know, they had a game canceled at the end of February. They played Maryland, which is an extremely good team. Then they had to play Northwestern back-to-back, won the first, lost the second. So sometimes some of those things do feel a little bit fluky, but sometimes they're not. And that is a true measure of the team. I wanted to talk for a second about UConn and what to make of, of Gino Ariyama missing their first two rounds. Neil, do we expect the Huskies to struggle at all because of this kind of, you know, miniature crisis? Or have these teams kind of figured out how to cope with COVID at this point?
2: Well, I I don't expect uh, that much of a drop off because first of all, Chris Daly is going to be running the team in that span. And she's been there the whole time, basically, that yeah. Gino has been there. So I think it's not like a real drop off uh, at coach anyway. And also, they just have like a ridiculous amount of talent. So uh I, I don't necessarily think, especially in the early round, like maybe if you're missing your Hall of Fame greatest of all time women's coach, whatever, uh, for like the final four, that would make more of a difference. But if if you're missing him for the opening, few games, I don't know that it, it makes that much of a difference, especially since like we've talked about this before, the the one seed in women's basketball has such a higher chance of beating, you know, the teams that they would have to face early, like the 16, the eight, the nine, whatever, than even on the men's side. So um, it, it's kind of the best possible time for this to happen if you have to have it happen, which obviously you'd prefer not to. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. OK, well, let's wrap up our March Madness talk by going through our final fours on the women's side too. Um, All right, let's start with the Alamo region, the region that has Stanford as number one. Jeff, who do you like out of there?
0: Uh, Stanford, that's really boring that's really boring but i think they're poor (laughs)
1: jeff so constrained by his (laughs) need for chaos
0: and at the same time (laughs) i'm i'm just so gun shy making so many bad predictions that's what we do really
2: hold those against you yeah we kind of do sometimes we do sometimes
0: it's true you really do like sometimes over the weekend i'll see something i'm like oh this is all i'm gonna hear about tuesday
1: (laughs) (laughs) neil how about you
2: yeah, so I'm uh, also going to be boring and take Stanford. I, th- I just think they are the most kind of landslidey team, you know, yeah. in terms of uh, odds to make the final four of any of the one seeds. So <laughs> should, it seems like is, it makes sense. I
1: should have started with a different um, region yeah. because yeah, <laughs> Stanford. They're they're really good. They're really, and they're really good for a reason. I'm. I also have Stanford. I really like. I really like Arkansas. I like Chelsea Dungy. I Georgia has kind of come on. They surprised me with how they played um, in the conference tournament, and Louisville is also really good. But man, Stanford, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I would
0: probably take Louisville if, if if Louisville was in a different region, but
1: I that I really think that that elite eight um, matchup will, will be fun to watch um, if that is what happens. All right, what about Hemisphere, South Carolina's region? They're the number one there. Who you got, Jeff? You know, back to my typical
0: form of of doing the one scene and getting out of the way. And I, now I'm going to move to Maryland. I I think I was really high on Maryland last time we did this, which feels like ages ago. But number one scoring offense in the country. Let's go. Let's go,
1: Terps. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. They're. I'm going to skip ahead of Neil here and say I'm also picking Maryland. They're. They're Ooh. really. They're really good. I I love South Carolina. I love Don Staley. But um. Again, we wrote about Maryland, and I feel like now I'm, like, all in on Brenda Fries' team. (laughs) Neil, who do you have there?
2: Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to be the contrarian, I guess, and take the one seed, South Carolina. Well, I had UCLA uh, actually beating Maryland uh, two rounds earlier uh, or one round earlier, uh, and so then I had uh, South Carolina... Uh, beating UCLA and, and there wasn't a particular reason for that It just kind of maybe I, I kind of had a hunch that you guys would would take Maryland but also UCLA 34% chance in that matchup uh, according to our model and then of course South Carolina 70% chance against UCLA uh, so that's how I got to SC
1: See, where you went wrong there is that um, Texas is actually going to beat UCLA in the second round behind wow. Charlie, Charlie Collier. I know. Big 12 over wow. here.
2: <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? I uh, know. Tw- you're taking a flyer on a 23% chance? Come on, Sarah. Hey. Uh, now, I do have <laughs> Stephen F. Austin beating Georgia Tech in the first round.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> you <want> that upset? <laughs> That's sad. Okay, so the Riverwalk region has UConn at number one. Jeff, who do you like out of there?
0: Wow, wow. I'm now feeling the pressure to mix it up, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take Tennessee. Look at this.
1: Oh, going Tennessee. Deep,
0: this is um, obviously a bold prediction because I think this region's pretty stacked. And I've actually, I don't know anything about middle Tennessee, but I've heard that's not an easy matchup. Um, but. You know, I, I think they're up for the challenge. It, it, obviously, I'm sort of banking in maybe UConn without its coach, at least for the first week and, you know, sort of stumbling. And then I, I guess I'm just always down on Baylor regardless of <laughs> regardless of what men or every women. sport yeah every every gender <laughs>
1: you hate uh, their track team too
2: yeah right <laughs> don't even get me started on their gymnastics yeah
1: but they did wait they did they
0: did play yukon very tough you know when they, they matched up earlier this year you know they, i think they lost by five or six but it was you know obviously a close game and so why not second yeah. time around
1: okay neil who do you like
2: I'm going to take Yukon uh which again one seed I think I have 3 one seeds already yet somehow I feel like that's the uh, I'm I'm standing out in, in the in the crowd for that uh I wanted to take Baylor over them but I can't pick against pagebackers I can't pick against this team
1: I, I you know I I agree. I really like Baylor. I um I think they're just an incredibly talented team and I'm excited to see a Baylor Yukon Elite 8 matchup if that if the seeds hold, but I I just I think Yukon is really good this year and I and Paige Beckers is is fun to watch and it seems like this is this is a um, the time for them. So, you know, yeah, I have Yukon out of the Riverwalk as well. Um, I actually I kinda love the idea of a of a Yukon Iowa matchup in the Sweet Sixteen Iowa with uh um, Caitlin Clark, who's an also an amazing freshman. We could have a couple of really standout freshmen playing each other. Okay, let's move on to the Mercado region, which is NZ State's region. Jeff, who do you like there?
0: I'm taking the Aggies. Going back to the two seed, I can't take a one seed because we have Neil to do that. I think they should be a one seed, to be honest. I was a little surprised by that because they were the top of the rankings all year. Um, Obviously stumbled in the tournament. So I think they've been obviously an elite team all year and is a dangerous two seed for NC State.
1: Okay, Neil, how about you?
0: Yeah, I'm going to
2: buck the trend and not take a one seed. Uh, Sorry, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to take Arizona coming All out right. of this uh, region. I actually uh, had NC State being uh, toppled by Indiana, the four seed uh, in the, uh, I guess that's the Sweet 16. Uh, and so then uh, I also had Arizona beating A&M. Uh, apologies, Jeff. Uh, and so then Arizona prevailing over Indiana to go to the final four. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Go Wildcats. Interesting
1: paths here. Yeah. Um, I I appreciate your, uh, your kind of, you had ucla too. your your pac-12 uh, allegiance in this bracket is interesting
2: yeah i'm very pro pac-12 i think in in many cases yes. uh, I, I think it's just like i i want to go out to be where jeff is it's very sunny great weather you know
1: <laughs> yeah that makes sense i
0: don't i don't think the pac-12 has won a tournament in what 25 <laughs> 30 years in either men or women it might be that last arizona men's team that arizona
2: did in 97 and, <laughs>
0: wow. and i think stanford on the women's side you know back in the day when they were sort of a mini dynasty was the last time
2: well you know i i do traditionally get sort of like lost in in 90s nostalgia uh, for sports and so i'm sort of like oh yeah stanford they're still good you know uh from from back in the day so I, i'm fine with that
1: yeah that makes sense um, okay, well, I am actually going to take Texas A&M. I have liked them all year. I'm going to stick with them here. Sorry, NC State. I feel like we're not giving NC State their proper their proper's here. I
2: know. I kind of um, uh, dumped on them when I said they weren't even the best that <laughs> there were non one seeds that were better than them.
1: Yeah, I feel like I hope that doesn't come back to bite us. But you know, strange things can happen. Obviously, and we're excited to see what what the madness brings us as the tournaments get underway this weekend. All right, we can leave this here for now. We'll take a quick break and be back for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. What do you have for us, Neil?
2: Yeah, so right as the men's bracket was getting settled on Sunday evening, afternoon, whatever, uh, there was another bit of historic news that happened in football, which was the announcement that longtime New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees was retiring from the NFL to join NBC as an announcer after 20 seasons in the league. Uh, We talked... I think a a little about Breeze during the season. I think it was after the Saints got knocked out of the playoffs by the Bucks. But Breeze has a really fascinating legacy uh, when it comes to his place in the pantheon of all-time great QBs. So I want to read off for you guys his all-time rankings in some various career stats. So completions, he's first all-time. Passing yards, first all-time. Passing touchdowns, second behind Tom Brady. Passer rating fifth behind Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Uh, all those guys considerably younger. Presumably, their ratings will, you know, uh, tail off a little as they get older. Uh, completion percentage he's second all time behind Watson. Game winning drive second behind Peyton Manning. Fourth quarter comebacks, third behind Manning and Brady. Quarterback wins, he's fourth behind Brady, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning. Approximate value, which is Pro Football Reference's kind of single number value metric, he's second all-time behind Brady uh, among QBs. Uh, And in yards above replacement, which is kind of a fancier advanced passing stat, uh, he's third behind Brady and Manning. Here are some other less well-known stats for Breeze. Uh, He's the only quarterback with multiple 5,000-yard seasons. He did it five times. No one else has even done it twice. He owns each of the three best single season completion percentage performances. He's the only player ever to have a 72% completion percentage in a season. He did that three times. He owns a single game completion percentage record. He went 29 for 30 in a game against the Colts on December 16th, 2019. He threw a touchdown in uh, at least one touchdown in 54 straight games. That's an all-time record. He had a seven touchdown game against the New York Giants on November 1st, 2015. That's tied for the all-time record. He threw for 300 or more yards in 123 games in his career. That's the all-time record. He led the NFL in passing yards seven times. That's the all-time record. Here's a fun note from ESPN Stats and Information Group. Uh, The Saints, as a franchise, before Breeze came, had seven total winning seasons and one playoff win. Since Breeze got there, they had nine winning seasons and nine playoff wins, including a Super Bowl uh with him leading so statistically i think based on all of that that sounds like a guy that you could make a case that he's the greatest quarterback of all time and yet i i think there are are few if any people maybe some hardcore saints fans maybe fans of short quarterbacks i don't know who well, would consider him to be the best of all time And so my question for the segment is, why isn't he? Should we reconsider Breeze's place in the pantheon of quarterbacks? And I have a few theories. One is the playoff track record. So Breeze, quote unquote, only won one Super Bowl. That was, as we talked about uh, earlier in the season, you know, is one Super Bowl the new zero Super Bowls, which seems really silly to talk about, but uh, it's been kind of thrown out of whack by people like. Tom Brady, who I'll talk about again in a, in a moment. Breeze only has a 9-9 nine and nine record in the playoffs as a starter. And if you look at our ELO ratings, he probably should have won about 11 of those 18 games based on the pregame win probabilities. So it's fair to say that in his career, Breeze's team's underachieved in the postseason. His numbers also dropped some in the playoffs. Uh, his passer rating fell from 98.7 to 97.1. His team's points per game fell from 27.4 to 26.6. However, the playoffs do do offer an increased level of competition. And if we adjust for that, Breeze had a higher per game QB ELO rating in the playoffs than in the regular season, according to our system. So so, uh, most of that drop-off could be explained by, by just the more difficult competition. So I think the other theory that holds more water is just that Breeze had the misfortune to overlap most of his career with Peyton Manning and all of it with Tom Brady. And both of those guys already had a historic rivalry with each other by the time Breeze established himself as a legend with the Saints. Brady versus Manning, they'd already faced each other a number of times in the AFC playoffs, uh, and, and each of them had even won Super Bowls for themselves by the time Breeze, you know, after that first year that Breeze was, was in New Orleans. This is kind of conjecture, but I think as fans, it's tough for us to accommodate whenever a new contender comes to a space where we've already really established in our minds that there's this big rivalry. You have seen cases where some newcomer on the block can kind of barge their way in, like in tennis. You know, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal had a rivalry first, and they eventually made room for Novak Djokovic after, really, he he won his first Grand Slam three years into the Federer-Nadal battle where both of them had at least won. Won, uh, at least one Grand Slam and we're kind of fighting off against each other. But Djokovic carved out that space by beating the two of them head-to-head. He actually has a winning record ag- against both Federer and Nadal. And Brees seemed like he might have been able to do that. He beat Peyton Manning a one-on-one in the 2009 Super Bowl. But that ended up being their lone playoff meeting. And Brees didn't face Brady head-to-head in the playoffs until last season. The Saints lost... As home favorites, which has been a theme late in Breeze's career. Instead, he lost the rest of his playoff games head to head against Russell Wilson, who we admit is an all time great quarterback, but the rest are Alex Smith, Case Keenum, Chad Pennington, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Sarah's favorite, Matt Hasselbeck, and Rex Grossman. So, not so much all timers uh, for those. So, I think part of the narrative uh, around Breeze is that he really never consistently disrupted that Brady Manning narrative. On the playoff stage, even after Manning retired, the Saints had some really strong teams. He had an opportunity to kind of, you know, build that legacy and maybe make himself part of that conversation afterward. But instead, lost to some questionable quarterbacks as favorites, often at home, and uh, I think that that had an effect on whether or not we think of Breeze being in that conversation with Brady and Manning, and sort of relegated him to whatever. Maybe he's in the next tier, but it's kind of a tier by himself uh, as the. I think probably the third best quarterback of all time. But what do you guys think? Where would you rank Drew Brees in the all time? And do you think I'm on to something about this idea of like, we already thought of Brady and Manning as sort of this rivalry that would define who was the best quarterback of all time going forward. And it's really tough for somebody to kind of break through, especially if they don't beat those guys head to head and really make a strong, almost stronger than necessary case for themselves to kind of break into that group.
0: You know, I know Marino didn't win a, a title, but it does kind of remind me of that a little bit in terms of just these consistent really strong regular season performance piling up huge numbers and you know to be honest like with breeze a lot of times it was the defense i mean some of those saints defenses were awful so i think a lot of those a lot of that lack of playoff success you can't totally put on him it the teams were flawed and they were vulnerable even though they they were so much fun to watch you know in the Superdome putting up those huge numbers it's not exactly the recipe for playoff success as we've seen over and over um that you, you need to play defense.
2: Yeah, uh, that's a great point that in of his 15 seasons in New Orleans, the Saints ranked 20th or worse in points allowed seven times. So roughly half of his seasons there, they were in the bottom third of the league in, in scoring defense. Uh, but again, it did kind of change uh, later. And they were fifth in points allowed last season, consistently kind of around the, the edge of the top 10 Uh, over the past handful of seasons and I think those years maybe sealed his legacy as you know not being able to compete with Brady and Manning uh, as much as anything because those were like legit opportunities with a strong defense to be able to kind of put it together uh, and it didn't happen
1: I've said this before and maybe this is coming from my place of as a fan of a team that has never won the Super Bowl. So maybe I don't hold Super Bowls as uh, highly as other as others. But who cares? Like, I don't (laughs) I just don't care. I don't think that Dan Marino was less of a quarterback because his team lost in that one game. (laughs) I just like it doesn't. I just he quarterbacks are quarterbacks. Football is a team game. Also, I wanted to like, I really enjoy the idea, Neil, of like there being people out there who are just short quarterback defenders. And I think that I'm going to become, that's just going to be Russell my thing Wilson from fan, now on. Yeah, fan club. <laughs> it's not a bad, it's a pretty good club, frankly. So why not be a fan of that club? Yeah, well,
2: it, it is sort of like in order to succeed as a short quarterback, you have to be like extra good at the other stuff. So it it makes sense that like some short quarterbacks would be all time great talent level guys. But so then where, if you don't care about the Super Bowls, where would you rank Breeze in the all-time pantheon?
1: Uh, right and up Do there. you drop
2: Brady? Do you drop Brady?
1: I mean, for me, Brady is, I don't want to overweight the Super Bowls, but I also think, right, I don't want to underweight the longevity. I think that is really incredible. And I mean- I is Brady going to be able to keep this up an, another year or two? I just, I don't I mean, know. Clearly it's the Bucks wild. think so. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I mean, yeah, I would have Breeze right up there. I think there are really good cases to be made for him, for for Peyton Manning, for Tom Brady. I think I think those three, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have that case too by the time his career is over, and he'll probably end up with only one Super Bowl. I'm going to knock on wood that the Packers don't <laughs> win it this year. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, I think that, but I think that's okay. I'm not going to hold that against Rogers either. In fact, the only having one Super Bowl is actually a plus in my um
2: in your upside down yeah, exactly logic. how I think about Aaron <laughs>
1: Rodgers. yeah,
0: <laughs> but some of it has to be era adjusted. I mean, just look at the the I mean Joe Montana threw for fewer passing yards than Joe Flacco.
2: that is true and that is like one of the most disturbing statistics in sports
0: (laughs) so i mean you so you put joe montana and sean payton's offense on the fast turf you know with uh joe horn or whatever receivers and all the weapons and all, marcus and colston of, yeah you know all, i've all of a sudden found myself struggling to name saints uh receivers which is a testament to me but um still all those weapons in that passing offense you know obviously numbers can be different so you do have to kind of era adjust for all these things
1: yeah i think that's part of it too that we know what's coming from the current crop of quarterbacks i mean we know that I mean, passing has just become so much more part of the game, even even now. And so we expect, you know, Patrick Mahomes to have a bajillion passing yards. I think that an is actual actually the bajillion. number. An actual <laughs> bajillion, yeah. So I think maybe that's part of it too and makes it a little harder to appreciate Breeze, assuming that he will be usurped for that, that title, you know, bef- by people who are playing right now.
2: Yeah, and frankly, uh, Brady will probably pass Breeze if he has any kind of season next season, anyway, because I think he's only about eleven hundred yards behind. Uh, so we'll have to seed that over to to Brady. But maybe it'll just be amazing that Breeze like held that record because he held the touchdown one too, and then got uh, uh, passed it over to to Brady. So. That that's another way in which he probably is just viewed as kind of this like transitional quarterback to the Brady, you know, inevitable statistical dominance uh, that that will eventually be in the record books because he played till he was like sixty. He played <laughs> till he was Colin Montgomery's age.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> a cool seventy or you know fifty-seven or fifty-seven. All right, that that seems like a good place <laughs> to end the rabbit hole and the show thank you neil um and thank you for joining us for this week's show we'll be back in your feed next tuesday if you like what you heard please subscribe and if you are subscribed please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice it helps new people discover the show you can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think our podcast producer is sarah shackett tony chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is chad Matlin. for neil and jeff i'm sarah thanks for listening talk to you next time